welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. This series, we're focusing on female financial independence, looking towards a stronger financial future. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on the show, and please do connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk. Today is a very special podcast and I may very well have to do this in two stages because the knowledge and wisdom that's going to be shared today with my wonderful friend Elaine Wilkins um, is going to be, it's not going to be a quick one. So you might need to grab yourself a cup of tea, get yourself a sandwich or just listen to this in a couple of half. So it might end up being a two part podcast um, simply because the wisdom that Elaine is going to share with you today is a personal story and also some amazing insights around um, trauma, around respectable addiction um, and debt. So um, today's show is called Debt, the Respectable Addiction, put my teeth in, and Elaine Wilkins is BA Honours and PGCE, I don't know what that is, so I'm just going to assume that people that know this sort of kind of field will know what that is, I'm really sorry Elaine. IML accredited wellbeing coach, um, ILM and FHT accredited training provider, um, area of specialism is ME, CFS and fibromyalgia recovery and through digital healthcare. Um, Elaine is an award-winning founder of the Chrysalis Effect as an online recovery pathway. Her own six-year illness and chronic fatigue syndrome was the catalyst that became the leader in the field of ME, um, FCS and fibromyalgia recovery. Her work has supported over 4,000 people recover from their health, as well as provided accredited recovery specialist training to over 1,100 therapists and clinicians. Her dream is of a holistic trauma-informed recovery pathway being immediately accessible at the point of GP referral is now a reality and the, with NHS pilots now commissioned and up and running. So what she's achieved over the last five, six years is absolutely incredible off the back of a chronic fatigue illness herself. And I can't wait to share her debt story um, and what she's achieved um, over her lifetime around debt. So let's let no further ado and speak to my lovely friend, Elaine. My wonderful, lovely friend, Elaine, welcome. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. No, me too. Um, Because I was just saying off the show that um, I haven't really done any shows about debt, clearing debt, how to clear debt, none of the practical stuff at all. And the the bit of the reason to do with that is because I want to make sure it had like a positive or at least a framework of positivity around it. And what we're going to be talking about today is the respectable addiction of debt because there is so much shame around debt and I've been in debt before and I've been open about that um and I just think that every client I speak to there's I hear the hesitation in their voice before they say the circumstances before they sort of tell me and lay it all out they start to make not excuses because that's that's the wrong word but they start to explain their circumstances as to why they're in this situation and some people go to the extent where I've got one client at the moment who every time I speak to her she'll cry two or three times on the phone call because there's such shame around debt 
So I think it's really important that before we look at all the practical things that you can do, until you look at your mindset, until you consider why you are where you are and why you're feeling what you're feeling, then you can't tackle those things quite as positively or constructively. They're all practical things, but actually without that mindset and being clear on why you might be where you are, it can happen again, right? Oh yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a repeating cycle if you don't get to sort of the underlying drivers and causes around it, because it seems like a response to an external situation. Yeah. Something happens and you, you know, decide to, that you have to use some form of credit or loan or whatever to get you out of that situation or to alleviate that situation. And of course, we're in, we're living in that culture and that climate where our governments do that. So not only is it respected, but it's just the water we all swim in, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we've, we've borrowed our way out of lockdown. Yeah. You know, that the, the governments have borrowed their way. And, you know, there are even loans being given now to us as consumers of energy because of everything that's going on globally. They're offering loans. Yeah. So, you know, we're, now, we're just in this whole culture of where that's what you do. And, but that is what we, years ago, what people of certain environmental situations is, is, is probably the best way to put it that's what you did didn't that's, that's how we've always done things so um my dad was not a massive one for saving or investing investing and my family wasn't um and I remember my nan having like a, a Christmas stamp thing like where she'd save something up like a book club or some kind um but apart from that any sort of larger purchases like cars um, any sort of big big things maybe some you know, something went wrong it was like okay well we need to put that on the credit card or if we need it we need the car's gone wrong we need to sell the car we need a new car we need to borrow more money and it was a, a a cultural society where that becomes normal so then I got my first car my dad bought me a very cheap one and then I upgraded and I got a car loan and that was that's just, that's socially acceptable that was what I was taught to do whereas there are some examples and I'm not saying it's because people have more money and I'm not saying that's because they're getting loans given out from their family that doesn't really change the perspective because then later on if they haven't got the money themselves they go and get they go and get loans and they go and get debt right so it's only really if culturally we're taught to save and to invest and possibly more of a frugal mindset but as a society you only have to listen to the radio or watch the television it, it's all it's encouraged it's it's how things are done we're being marketed to every moment every second of every day you know you just look at social media facebook you know we all think we're going on there to be social to catch up with what our friends are doing and to you know keep everyone in the loop and and uh, but what what is facebook actually for it's you find yourself going off down a million rabbit holes because a, a little shiny advert will pop up. You think, oh, that looks good. Oh, and you, you before you know it, you're clicking by to something that 10 minutes ago you didn't even know you needed. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and of course, that, that's the other thing is that, you know, when I was growing up, my mum ran a catalogue. That was a little way of getting a bit of commission in or something, you know, God knows what, but two bob or something. And um you paid it off didn't you you know people yeah, used yeah. to come around and pay my mum the, their little bit of money 
off of the things that they were buying. Well, of course, now they've got sort of online clothes things yeah. and that, and you go on to pay for it. And what do they do? They want you to spread it. They offer yeah. you to have that thing for a tiny amount and then because they want to then get you hooked in. And, you know, that was the beginning of my big problems was uh, a store card. Yeah. Uh, and, and all it was was a vehicle to fuel um, the beliefs and the um, behaviours around money that had been embedded in the family I grew up in. Yeah. You know, so I think the important thing with debt and you're, you're right, there's there is hesitation about sharing about debt. You know, there's this old almost unspoken thing now that you don't discuss your finances with with people so (laughs) yeah with anyone so I I think I mean I can trace I now now I've got all the understanding and learning I've got around sort of the addictive nature of debting and spending and where it fits in and it fits into the um the trauma profile uh it it becomes often uh one of two things a coping mechanism for trauma um, and adversity in childhood, or as you just said, you just literally imprint from the adults that you grew up around. You know, yeah, you're just you, copying, it's, you just it's, copy it's, it's, certain behaviors and they are your complete normal. So, yeah. you know, you mentioned <clears throat> your mum's, your nan's stamps and things like that. So. I grew up believing that the only way we could have anything, the only way you did anything was to pay it off weekly or monthly. That was, that was how a working class family or certainly my working class family survived. So um, I can, I was the youngest. So I was often at home when the Prudential man used to come or (laughs) the co-op man used to come and my mum would have her little bit of money put aside you know I didn't really know what what it was all for but as I grew up I realized that she couldn't afford to buy us all school uniform for kids so there was this uh that there were these things called provident checks so uh the provident man would come and uh he would give her a certain number of these token check things and then she would pay that off a little bit every every week or every month. And then those provident checks she could take into certain shops yeah, where we yeah. could get shoes and clothes and things. So it was a way of borrowing. It was like it was like a form of a credit card, really. And she did the same with the co-op. So the co-op yeah. used to have these funny blue checks. And uh, we still laugh about it today because she would at Christmas, he would come and he would give her, you know, it looks like mounds, you know, probably a hundred pounds of these um, uh, things, these co-op things. And she could go to the co-op, she could buy anything from any department in the co-op. So that was all her Christmas shopping sorted, yeah. all the toys and, and, and things. So when I was growing up and it got to Christmas, I just said, well, can you get me some of the, so, you know, so I would, she'd get me some off of the man and then I would pay her every week and she'd pay him. And, you know, if she bought furniture, she would go to a local company. It was a family company and she paid it off weekly. So we had a rental telly and we had 
higher purchase is, was the word back then, wasn't it? There were no credit cards. You know, mm. my mum couldn't get loans. And I grew up in a family where my dad was a spendthrift. Mm. My dad literally left this world with what he entered it with, you know, <laughs> nothing. Um, but he was first up at the bar. He was a generous man. Anybody was out of work, even if he didn't have a lot himself, he would borrow money to go and help that person. Yeah. So he thought anyone that didn't buy a drink when they were out was was cheap or tight. You know, so I used to watch this and he was a gambler. So his way of getting extra money was gambling. So I used to watch my mum walk five miles to save a penny. You know, she was really frugal and careful and had all her money pots. She never, ever got herself into any sort of trouble with her borrowing. It was all allocated for and paid for. But my dad used to give her the housekeeping. And then if he had a bit of extra, which, of course, he did, he would gamble it or go for a drink. And um, he'd come home sometimes with these massive winnings. And he'd say, right, that's it, kids. We're all going out. Let's all go. And, and we'd go and have all these presents. So there I was with my dad, who just gave you, would give you the shirt off his back and was a spender. Never had any money saved ever. <clears throat> and my mum, who would say, um, we can't afford it. There's not enough. Um, you're the youngest of four. You have to you have to wait for everything, and you'll have to tell your friends if they're only children that you're one of four, and you have to wait. Yeah. So yeah. I grew up with those two conflicting things. Well, which one looks more fun to you? You know, the one that oh, says, yeah, there's one that swoops in. Yeah, swoops in and says, "Let's go." So what happened to me was I resented having to wait. I didn't. I thought it. I, I thought you know the all of that was sort of boring thought my dad was much more exciting <laughs> and I took on board this thing of not wanting to look mean or tight or whatever so I became someone that thought I had to pay everything off but never dreamt that I'd save something I just knew that if you wanted anything you had to have it and then pay it off that was my learning and the other thing was was that if I went out I, in order for people not to think badly of me, I need to be the one that paid the bill. Yeah, and so you looked I'd a always, certain way. And you yeah, so I'd always, <clears throat> I'd always be the one that said, I'll get this. You know, when everybody starts to look at the bill and starts to sort of question who owes what, I can't, I still to this day can't, I'm not comfortable with that, although I've done a lot of work on it now and I, I, I'm, I'm fair to myself. I, I, in the past, I would pay even if I didn't have that money. And then, you know, with all of that mindset and, you know, a lot of arguing and things around money at home, um, I grew up with no tools, no understanding of savings. All you saved for was I had a post office book, but then you drew it all out when you went on holiday. So that was that was, you know, that was my whole, you know, so I'm such I was such a challenging client, Rebecca. <laughs> um, and then, of course, that was my foundation, my foundation of my financial understanding, knowledge, relationship with money. It was stressful. It was difficult. There were arguments and debt was the only way you survived. Um, yeah, and also what you've mentioned there is a piece around instant gratification. Yes. So and, and then you've also mentioned the trauma element and, I, and I, they are they are linked. So for me for example and I've spoke about this in my book I feel like I talk about it all the time but I, I probably haven't <laughs> um is so I 
didn't come from very much money um my dad had uh was a well was a well paid but he was looking after a single parent looking after two other adults and my older brother um and we had enough but you know nothing fancy so I wasn't allowed the fancy trainers I had hand-me-downs from my brother because I was a very much a tomboy um so by the time I did have a job and was starting working and had my own money I am um, unfortunately I had a car accident um it it made me feel really, I was in a lot of pain a lot of the time. I was on lots of painkillers um, and I didn't understand money. I worked in a bank and I knew how money worked in terms of loans and credit cards, but I didn't understand that psychology around trauma. I, I didn't understand the psychology around spending. I wanted the gratification. I wanted myself to feel better. So by the time I was around 22, 23, I was in over 20 grand worth of debt. Um, I had uh, a second car loan. Um, I had credit cards. My husband and I, what was my boyfriend at the time, we didn't have any help from family members. We rented a property. We had no furniture. So we got it all on Argos. Do you remember Argos cars? They're not so popular anymore, but when, like we're talking over 20 years ago, we got it a loan on Argos credit. Um, and that's just what we were used to. And there's two things there. One, I wasn't used to having money. I wasn't taught how to, to use it, how to spend it, how to save for it. And it's like, oh, well, I wanted a new car. I wanted to have a certain lifestyle um, and I wanted to um, have my property furnished and be independent away from my family. And the only way to do that was to get into debt. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 24, maybe 25, I, I got a very well paid job and I then managed to clear all the debt and managed to sort of draw a line and, and move on. But it's not been it's not to say that there hasn't been times where I've had to, you know, not get into as much debt, but I've had to use credit cards, but maybe it's cash flow when I first started the business, etc. Um, but I, it's not the same trauma reaction. It's literally like a, a functioning thing because there's, there's physically, you know, for example, I, I, um, when I had Cameron, I had to start the business all over again. There's been times where I was like, okay, I'm going to just you borrow that for the moment. And then I want to pay that back next week. And it's not, it's, it's just managing money and there's no emotional connection to it. It was just a functioning thing. And it's, I think, majorly different between fulfilling a enoughness button um, around knowing how what your mindset is around money or to having a trauma reaction to you're physically needing it so for people who you know they maybe they've never got into debt but they've lost their job and they're already in a situation where they're like okay I physically can't cope <laughs> with the outgoings I'm gonna have to get into debt it, there, there is then a trauma response from having to do that yeah. and then therefore that can actually have a knock-on effect in the future because yeah. you're feeling still feeling shame from mm. being in a situation that you can't even help yeah and and that's not all all that is is that's just triggering something from a lot younger right. so um so just going back having a little look at, at childhood I always had was was excited about life and and had big dreams and big visions and you know I had quite a challenging relationship with my mum because she was always trying to sort of Belittle give me you. a reality check. So yeah. she was always saying, you know, you, I'd say, she, she, I'd say, I don't want, I, I don't want to, you know, be sort of just doing loads of housework when I grow up, you know, because she, she, that's what she did all day. And um, she said, well, who's going to do it then? And I say, well, I'm going to have a cleaner, you know, and, and she, <laughs> and, and all the things I wanted to do, she'd say, 
that's not for the likes of us. Yeah. And it really, it just made me quite sort of rebellious, really. And so I think there was a lot of it where all the things I would be excited about, she would pop my balloon, you know, and say, well, we can't afford that. You can't totally you, you get can't, that. You can't yeah. have it's not that. not for people like us. I, and yeah, so I totally get that. I would then almost have, I'd, I'd be sort of craving to get those things because actually when you are growing up and you're trying to express who you are and who you're becoming and someone keeps telling you that you're wrong to think like that or wrong to have that then what happens is your self-esteem mm. gets gets quite crushed and so there's a bit of a you know there's a bit of a miss missing piece there so you're looking to do something to feel better about yourself aren't you so I think from quite young being surrounded by lots of arguments and stress and all all of that you know um I probably you know started off um having sweets to feel better mm. you know if I would cry I wouldn't ever get cuddled it would be oh don't cry don't cry here have this mm. so I learned you know to sort of do something to self-soothe that's what we do and so I think with um the spending element you know because constantly not being able to have the things you want you know and I had I was the youngest of three girls so I had all the big coats cut down to a small coat but I got some new buttons on it you know when I was really yearning for a new coat is what I wanted yeah. I didn't want to have the third hand coat and you know going back to the going to get your school uniform from a special shop or, or shoes from a special shop because we had these these things you know I mean I'm not I had a I had a childhood where I was fed I was warm our house was lovely and clean it wasn't abusive no. in a way but um I didn't feel that my family really got me or mm. and when I tried to be me I didn't really feel very understood and there was lots of teasing so because I liked things like classical music and I wanted to go I wanted to travel and I wanted to do things I got sort of humiliated and taken the mickey out of yeah, because, because what of they wanted, wanted to do is they wanted to go to the local pub and yeah to, and it was like, I, didn't, or... I didn't want to live like that I really didn't want to live like that and I wanted more from life and so I suppose what I then started to do was I would be attracted to those things that I was constantly being told that I couldn't have because I actually get in hold of one of those things whether it was a nice piece of clothing or something I really wanted gave me I suppose Joy. a hit you don't yeah. realize it's a dopamine hit it's like a reward I actually gave me an uplift so all spending and debting is really is it's a a way of bringing some sort of relief some sort of um and release as well so I didn't understand all of this and and no. I, I think the first thing was that I was given a straw I was in a, I was in um Alders at Croydon one day and it went bing bong and they said oh you know you're in in your in-store purchases today you can um, have a store card and it won't cost you a penny and I was like what <laughs> you know so and I rem I literally went up to the counter signed the form she said oh yeah is that you've got this much and within half an hour I'd spent that and then of course then the bill hits doesn't it and then you, you, you know, and and so that was the first time when I these one of these magic plastic cards came and then of course when I 
got ma married around the time I got I got sort of got married and 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 got my own home and everything um I, well the first house I had it was in the time where the interest rates went up to 16 percent wow yeah <clears throat> so we had the carpets on you know on pay yeah, as you yeah. go sort of thing and everything and then suddenly this mortgage rate shot up massively and um decided to move from that area to a cheaper area which was phenomenal because what that did was it gave me a chance to remortgage and then we were coming into the 80s and of course when we went into the 80s it was a license to borrow wasn't it yeah so we, you know I bought, I bought a house in a cheaper area made a you know a, doubled my I had my first property at 20 21 years old sold it at 25 for double what I paid for it um, but I never really understood the concept of mortgages, of paying it off, the interest rate, didn't understand any of that. I'd borrowed the deposit from the bank to put down, so I hadn't saved anything. This was just my life. It was just borrowing, and, and that's what you did. You ducked and dived to get, to get by in, in my world of my upbringing. And then the second house I got, I moved into it, and four weeks later, my husband left me with Kelly at who was um, at the time 10 months old oh, so I had I just moved house I couldn't walk uh, my um, clients I'd left behind so I had to start from scratch because I'd moved area and um, I had a baby a mortgage and a, a dog and he also um, ran off with the rest of the money as well so oh, there God. there I was so um <clears throat> had to go on benefits and then you know got quite resourceful built up my I was a hairdresser back then built up my hairdressing career and um you know started it's all it was all the cash was coming in but again I never knew how to save so I just would earn it and spend it earn it and spend it you know to keep the roof over my head I'd get I had a lodger come in and stay there uh, to, to sort of help with all of that because I became a single mum overnight so money and managing was always about stress and borrowing to get by, borrowing to get by. That was Got pretty it. much what I'd learned. Yeah. And um, then I, I did remarry. And then we were then when we had a dual income, uh, Robert had very similar upbringing as well. Very similar. Um, his, all, he, all he had ringing in his ears was he couldn't afford it. And of course, he met me who wanted all these lovely things. <laughs> And oh, look, it's only this much a month. We can get that. Oh, oh, I've seen this new suite. You know, we can get that. So he was like, oh, wow, this is lovely. I've got this lovely home. And and of course, I never ever sat down. We never sat down. We never worked out our finances. We just used to look at the bank account every month and wonder why we were overdrawn. And then I got an, um, an access card. Do you remember those? Yeah. The access card was the start of my credit card thing, really. And, and they're still quite easy to get even these days. Um, you know, oh although it's a little bit, a little bit more stricter since um, 08. Um, yeah. But if you've got a relatively good credit history, you can still get them now. And the thing is, they're all saved on your phone. So literally, yeah. you're not having to walk around the shop and them going bing bong or at the till going, would you like one? No. You've, you've got Amazon, have got credit cards. Everything, you know, all the online everything. Store cars. Uh, you, got, you, you go on to pay for PayPal and they want you to have their card, don't they? Or, yeah, or, yeah. or do this credit thing. So it was just a runaway train, really, because then the 80s, we were doing the house up constantly, never stopped. Because, you know, 
And I just developed this real grandiosity of spending and then the stress of facing up to the fact that I'd overstretched myself. So what it fueled, and I never understood this at the time, I, it fueled me to be a bit of a um, serial entrepreneur and workaholic. So I was always trying to make more money because I never had enough. But it wasn't how much I had coming in, of course, it was what I was doing with it. It was already, it was already spoken for. Mm. So, um, you know, I'd start a hobby and then I'd just turn it into a business. And so I'd have sort of three or four little things running where I was constantly trying to make money. And, and you know, my husband had a reasonably good job, but I remember saying to him, you're going to have to get a second job. You know, he was doing really long hours. I was saying, you have to get a second job. We just haven't got enough money. And at no point did we ever really sit down and go, hang on a minute. Why is you this know, happening? We haven't got enough money because we've just paid, we've just taken on a, a, another, we've just remortgaged again mm. and, <clears throat> and, and done a kitchen or put in double glazing. I didn't know anything about, you know, just taking your time to do things and maybe um, instead of, borrowing to put in windows look at getting another property you know how amazing would that have been if I'd have known all that back then but mm. so it was just a whole lifestyle of that's how I thought you you got by that's how I yeah. thought and, and I was surrounded by people that were doing that who were putting stuff oh, on bank loans and having their houses done up and buying cars on loans it was just the water we all swam in really yeah I don't know how much of that was my working class roots um, of wanting to be more wanting to feel, um, you know, that I, <clears throat> I I wanted to look good to make myself feel good. You yeah, know, but I, I think, think that you're not, even in this day and age, I see that even now, you yeah, know, you're, you're talking so like 40 odd years ago, it's not really changed no. even now, and I see it all the time. And, it, you know, this, this show is called The Respectable Addiction. <laughs> the respectable part is the spending, because it's almost yeah. expected that you're meant to have a nice car, that you've got to have the latest clothes, and you're walking around in what what brand of trainers are you in? Um, you know, even in not so much the horsey world, but you have like a hierarchy of like, you know, what what, what type of yard are you at? There's like this natural hierarchy of life that we all seem to, and it's not about judging others. We seem to judge ourselves more than yeah. anything else. Um, and I think once you stop giving a real rat swaps it about what people think and it's your money you make the decisions you're in control yeah but there's just such an like there's still a natural order of things to have a certain way of life and live live you know what type of house have you got what type of car do you drive yeah um, and and it's just it's it, it's exhausting it is absolutely exhausting and I think what what happened that spiraled me out of control and it was where it, it's been the start of my journey of really learning all about this um, <clears throat> was that I um, I went to university and uh, wanted to have a career change from what I was doing and I was um, learned learnt loads and loved it and came away and went got sort of involved into sort of corporate training and and somehow I, I, I met this person who said oh you'd be fantastic at doing the empowering women work as part of this organization that I'm part of come and find out about it so I did and she said would you like to join and I said oh no it's not really me it was it was um like selling cosmetics and I didn't even understand the concept of it back then but it was a multi-level company which I didn't really know and I think 
she sort of asked me to come in to do the training side, which is what I really loved and the women's empowerment. But actually, it wasn't that at all. It was a multi-level cosmetic company where you sold cosmetics and you recruited people to sell cosmetics and you just had to build your team and everything. And it, 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 it showered you and rewarded you with, <laughs> wait for it, um, pink Mercedes, diamonds and trips to amazing countries. And it was all about lifestyle and image. And, you know, so it, all my buttons, all my inadequacy buttons <laughs> and all mine, you know, being the kid who had the hand-me-down stuff mm. were, were really sort of triggered. And what it was, it was about, it was, it was sort of wrapped up in the, um, it empowered women to earn what they were worth instead of what someone told them their job was worth. And that really spoke to me. So I got involved and I just catapulted. I worked really, really hard. And, you know, they held me up as some sort of, you know, I broke this record and that record and everything. And what happened was I ended up literally um, um, losing all sense of my normality, really. And so I, you know, my poor Sani would come in and talk to me at night to say goodnight. And I'd be on the phone, you know, running this business and I'd sort of like wave him away. And he was only young because I was busy. And uh, it was so insidious because I'd always worked from home, um, you know, be, had my own sort of business at home, hairdressing business and that. Um, but this was something different. It, it almost like took me over. It was very brainwashing. It was like, um, you only fail if you quit. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Um, you have to act the part you want to be. I even sold a property because we'd, we'd ramped up more debt because I was always living above our means. And I sold a property and instead of getting something smaller, we rented an executive four bedroom house because of this message of you've got to, you know, for people to really want to follow you, you've got to have that sort of lifestyle that they want to emulate. Oh, we still see that online, even like we see that everywhere online. It's just, you know, people hire extreme is like hiring jets for the day just to sit in it. So they can take pictures of them sitting in a jet. <laughs> it's just crazy, isn't it? It's just crazy. And anyway, so this would all happen to me. And, you know, talking about it, it all just is it, so with hindsight, of course, you can see it all. But at the time, I was striving because I wanted more for my family. And I, you know, when my kids, my son went to a school and it wasn't any good for him and he was unhappy and, and crying, I put me into a private school. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I never thought about that. I just wanted, I didn't want my kids to grow up um, always having sort of, you know, not being able to have uh, the right education and the right opportunities and, and those things. I just wanted what any parent wants for their kids. But I had champagne taste and lemonade money, Becky. That was the problem, you know. I love that. And, uh, you know, I literally did. So it was always I think it was about all the things that I had felt had hurt me I was trying to to make sure my kids didn't have that mm. and you know not always in material possessions and things like that we weren't the sort to take them out and get them all designer gear and it was never that it was about it was just making sure that when I bought them something it was new and it wasn't from the jumble sale you know and when I bought and and, and if they need education to me was everything it opened massive doors to me and I went to a school where they had really low expectations I left school at 14 with nothing and nobody really cared whether you worked or you didn't work 
and you know I was really quite bright and um, but in the first year in that school you learned that the only thing really of interest there was the boys so you know all my education went out the the, the window and it just all seemed about you know trying to get affection really trying to you know tr trying to sort of have yes, relationships yes. with boys and you know so hence my daughter went to an all-girls school and my boy you know because I we're not having any of that thank you very much because I, I knew what and I think what all of this came about was trying to heal my own wounds if you like um by by having having those nice things by being able to take my kids out being able to not keep saying to my kids you know we can't afford it we can't afford it um and 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 it, it all sort of this as i say this this multi-level company it was just madness and it was a big lie um so you know, yes i drove a pink mercedes but what nobody ever knew was that i had to hit twenty five thousand pounds a month of production they called it otherwise i paid for that car and so when you missed production, all I ended up with was a hidden car loan that nobody knew about. And then if people came on and that person was your recruit and they bought stock, fantastic, you got a big commission check. If that recruit decided they didn't really want to carry on and returned their stock, it all got clawed back. So what it did was it gave it to you and then it got you into such a spiral of debt that you had to keep working harder and harder to not um, get these clawbacks happening. Yeah. So of course that and having to keep because because it was all about you know you you don't you 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 only talk um, to the person that's at a similar level with you. You've always got to be positive. So it was like a conspiracy of silence. And my internal fairness monitor was saying this is terrible. This is like and then I had girls coming to me saying oh my god. I had one girl come to me and she said, I've got 80,000 pounds with a credit card debt. I have bought all these cosmetics. I've hidden them in my friend's garages so my husband doesn't know. Put it all on credit cards because I wanted to earn that trip or get that car. It's crazy. This is what was happening. I didn't get to that stage, but I it was like a license to spend. And it just fueled my sort of old mm. triggers really of not enough not enough not enough and it was never enough you know it was always about having to work harder do more and they used to reel out these multi-millionaires to talk to you about their lifestyle and they literally delegated every aspect of normal life so they would say oh you don't want to be going shopping you don't want to clean you don't want to do this you don't want to do that you have everybody you pay everybody to do that so that you can just work and you know have this lifestyle and so somehow my life got hijacked from normal stuff like you know uh, and, my, and my kids um literally just saw me either excited and working or exhausted on the sofa and then eventually um it all came crashing down when I lost my health thank god thank god it all came crashing down and um I had this cycle when I looked back I had this cycle of always getting to this spiral of debt having to sell a house to consolidate. And I did that several times. And then when I got ill, um, I kept trying to get back to that mad job. And then I just remember literally breaking open one day and saying to my husband, I can't live like this anymore. I can't do it. I just can't do it. 
and we're going to have to look at all our debt. We're going to have to put it on a one of those rubbish debt management companies because I didn't know any better. Had the man come round. This was terrible. He said, you still got an active credit card. He said, so pay me £3,000 in fees. He said, and then you freeze all your accounts up. He said, open up another bank account. It was so corrupt. And then we'll take it all away from you and you can pay all your debt creditors a pound a week or something, you know, it's fine. And that's what we did. And um, somehow, I don't even know how we did it. Um, we sold the property, we downsized, moved to somewhere I don't even know why I moved there because it, it wasn't really my type of place but it did enable us to go somewhere cheaper and thought we'd sort of dealt with it but it, it but what it did is it bought me some space to recover and I ended up you know just taking a year out and not for the first time since I was 12 years old I didn't have to work I just literally focused on just taking all that financial pressure off my shoulders um and I started to recover my health. And through that journey, I, I started to look at all of this craziness around borrowing and overcommitting and spending and everything. And I just, I, I, I've got to pause you just for one second. Mm -hmm. and the reason why is because obviously I've known you for five years. Yeah. And when I first met you, 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 you don't freely tell this story. Let's put it this way. This was... No part of your story that you never shared with anyone and even when we had financial discussions and we were discussing things the debt and the, the history the past never came up probably for a couple of years oh. um and so I just got to celebrate you just for a second and just give you all my love because I know <laughs> how far you've come just to share this story and to share where you are and yeah. I, I said to you years and years ago, when you're in a place that you are feeling that you're not feeling the same way about all of this, it's such an empowering story and you've got so much to share and so much to give around it that, and especially where, and I'm, you're, I know you're gonna go on and talk a little bit more about trauma and about how you can deal with this stuff because you've overcome it. The whole point of this is that you've overcome this and now yeah. you're able and you're ready to share this story but when you're in it you 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 can't see the wood for the trees it just no. feels like you're, you're going to get swallowed up by this tar of yuckiness yeah um so I just got to celebrate you just for sharing that because I know how much that has been for you to get where you are thanks Becky thank you for joining us on today's episode of accelerate your wealth for further help or to connect with Rebecca directly please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. For any regulated advice, please do head over to www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk.